0: Psalm 1 says, uh, The blessedness, the joys, the happiness, the goodness of those who don't follow in the advice of the wicked or stand around as sinners or join in with mockers. But the blessed one's delight is in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. That one is like a tree planted along the river bank, bearing fruit each season. The leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. So we're now going to unpack God's word a little bit together. Um, partake of the blessedness of this, so let's ask God to bless us, ask his Spirit to work in us, the one who spoke these words, uh, that he might speak to our hearts afresh tonight, change us and move us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for superintending all of history and that everything that's happening now and every person in this room now is no accident to you. Jesus, we thank you for being our advocate with the Father who means that he'll hear us even though our hearts are broken and there is black in them at, in places inasmuch even as you have renewed it still yet their sin remains and we confess that to you now. And so Spirit, we ask you in the name of the Son whose forgiveness we rely on to move in us this afternoon. As you moved 2,000 years ago break our hearts too and remake us and fill us with joy and we prayed this afternoon for refreshment for we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus the Christ amen well peter and john they they're heading out for afternoon prayers in this new early church phase uh, same as they've been doing multiple times a day every day they continue in this jewish thing of going to the temple You might have noticed that. You might have thought that's not what they did straight away, but he does. They're probably even participating in the sacrifices and in the prayers. Otherwise, why is he going up at three o'clock for the appropriate prayer time? And a man who had never walked, as they go up to the gate, is sitting there. Uh, Someone sort of set him up there for the day, uh, and he's asking people for charity on the way in. And Peter hears him and looks at him. Now, I don't know what you're like when you see someone on the street who you, th- you think will ask you for something. Um, it, do you look? Do you not look? If you look and then don't, don't give them something, is there a, a disrespect there? Or is it more disrespectful not to acknowledge them as a, as a human being by simply actually, like, what do you what do? You do? It, it, it's, it's, it's hard to deal with that interaction. And some days it's actually hard for us to do because it's hard to let their, their plight into our heart. Hard because we know we won't be able to make things better for them in all the ways we wish we could. Now, Peter here, though, he looks. And the the word here is like a fully engaged look. There are different words for looking. And this one's the, like, locked-in look. John looks, too, the same word. And it's funny because the lame man himself actually can't have been looking. Because Peter then asks him to, which makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if you're there asking for charity day after day after day, there's an emotional cost on that you're not going to be able to engage with everyone and yeah Peter says hey I want you to look at me look at us At the promise of charity, which is what the guys ask for, the man looks up at them as intently with that same word as they were looking at him. And it's actually this beautiful word, charity, or or, or alms, that's resulted in this eye-to-eye moment. Now, the word charity for for us, right, originally meant a Christian love for mankind and a concern for their welfare. It it actually just, it was sort of another word for love. And yet, today, if someone asks you for charity, what are they asking for? Right, so you, you, you feel like it's, it's money. And it's the same for the Greek word here. The man literally asks for, for compassion, kindness, hope. But, sure, he's expecting to take that in the form of cash, because that's how it's come to be for them as well. But when Peter says, I don't have any change on me, what that means is that he's not... I don't know, when, when I was a kid, I'd read that, and he'd be like, you know, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I you. It's like, I'm not going to give you the thing you asked for. I'm going to give you something else instead. But actually here, we see Peter giving him exactly what he asked for. Kindness, compassion, eye contact, and in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. What must have gone through the man's mind? Like, it's, 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 it's not that he's not sure if he can walk or not. It's that he doesn't know what walking means. Do you understand this? Like, he's never done it. Have you, have you ever seen someone try to get into rehab, um, uh, trying to walk again? It takes them a long time to learn to walk again. They've done it once before. This guy's never done it. This is something f- clearly supernatural that's, getting, that's, that's happening here. He's never got up in his life. Now, notice Peter doesn't actually pick him up like he's helpless. He doesn't pick him up like the people who set him down at the temple gate did. Instead, he offers his right, he takes the man, sorry, he takes the man by his right hand. Now, um, there's a bloke from my soccer team, Jai, he's uh, 35 but looks about 55, and I'm just kind of like, you know, he's a hard man, lives a hard life, and um, he blew out his knee a few weeks back in the soccer game, and uh, like, you know, that was, I was like, oh, I thought I only screamed that bad when I did myself, but that was pretty loud screaming, <laughs> and this is a hard man. So when, when, when we had to get him off the pitch, a few of us, like we went, I wasn't picking him up by the right hand, <laughs> He's a big boy. There was a few of us getting up into the armpits and getting his arm up there, and we're just sort of trying to to get your shoulder and your weight into it because we had to take his weight. You can only just pick someone up by their hand if they can take their own weight. And there's this beauty in Peter's gesture here. He puts his hand out and invites him to take his own weight for the first time. Like even the word and Walk is not, a, not an accidental one. You know, you know, have you, you know Christians might ask you, oh, how's your walk with God going? You've heard that phrase? You know, walk is like a, 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 a it's a Jewish phrase, meaning, meaning life, living. You know, what are you doing? Well, we, you're walking around. Well, that's what you do in life. You walk around. We sit. You know, you know, how's your sitting going is probably more modern, but for them, it's how you walk. And so in this moment, Peter's actually inviting the man to live. What's it mean to live for you? He said, "Get get up! You you can make your own way. You can take your own weight. You can go where you will." And on the spot, literal translation, the man's ankles and feet grow strong, tendons and muscles that have never existed, let alone had the years of programming our kids have as they learn. He doesn't just get up; he jumps up, and he's like a kid in a candy store. Like, he's like, it, 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 like, I was trying to read it again and work out, is that little kid's sort of, like, version of, like, some guy just tearing around the temple, jumping around, like, kind of true? And I was like, no, pretty much is. Like, that's, that's what it looks like as I'm reading the passage, even as an adult. He's just like, jumping is awesome. Dude, legs, have, like, legs are brilliant. Have you, have, you, these, have you checked these out? And he's just testing them, enjoying them, and praising God for them. And his legs take him somewhere. His legs take him straight into the temple which, strangely enough, is actually a place he would never have been before. You see, in Leviticus, it actually says that if you're lame, you're not allowed inside. You see, his placement at the gate, sure, pretty just, you know, conjured for people, more money for when, you're, when you're asking for charity, but it's because he couldn't get further on. Sure, it's a good place to beg, but, 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 but really, like, he's clinging to Peter and John and going into this place because, well, he's never been in there before, he doesn't know where you go. And he is joyfully praising God for the first time that he's been in God's presence. It's a special moment. so beautiful. Now, this attracts some attention. People stream in as the word gets out. And like at Pentecost, there's some event, an unexplainable happening that Peter explains to this fast-gathering crowd. And his explanation is, this is the work of the risen Jesus. You see, Jesus continues... To work this is this is what we're talking about today that jesus continues to do and teach the first book luke was what jesus began to do and teach this book is similarly even though he is in heaven this book is just as much about jesus he is the main character here in fact it's interesting that's sort of kind of similar to the way jesus did it too you remember jesus healing a lame man there's a lot of similarities In fact, then they're in Solomon's Colonnade. That was Jesus' favourite place. That was where he taught when he was in the temple. They're doing what Jesus did. They're doing great acts and teaching in the temple when they get there. That's exactly what Jesus did. And these miraculous signs are signs. Signs that God is undoing death and restoring the world. But signs also that this work is from God. This is all Jesus continuing to do what he had been doing before. You might not be able to see him, but still him. Now, standing there in Solomon's stoa, where you get the word stoic from, that, that colonnade, in the temple on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, Peter gives a thoroughly Israelite sermon. He is as central to Israel as you can be, right? This is the most Jewish spot in the world. And you can tell who he's stolen, t- actually stolen his preaching style from. He starts his talk with, his, sorry, he starts his talk with almost exactly the same phrases as the angels who confronted them when they were going up to heaven? Men of, men of Israel. They said, men of Galilee, sort of a little, more, little, little, little less glamorous. Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare? Like they were staring up in heaven. But Peter says, why do you stare at us? Why do you stare at us as if we were the wonder, as if we by our own power did this? And then he tells them the big story. Don't look at me. Here's what it is. Let me help you understand Peter's first point of his sermon. This is his explanation of the events. The guy that you rejected has done this. You see, the God of our forefathers, that we we Israelites, we worship him in this temple, has glorified that Jesus. You disowned him. You denied him. You said no. In fact, you you wanted to side with a murderer so that you could disown him. You see, there's, there's so much irony in this. You killed the author of life, says Peter. Harsh. But at the same time, he's not really embellishing much, is he? He's just saying what happened. That's just who Jesus is. That's what you guys did to him. It's just facts. But God, who did align himself with Jesus by raising him from the dead, undoing what you did, has raised him, and the effect of that is that Jesus is still giving life. Like he just gave life to that man. You see, you see, like you see him running around the temple, that's life. Like a little kid, like new life, and so Peter says to them, "You know what you need to do, guys you actually just you actually need to turn away from your evil. You can change this I, I don't know if you realise... in fact he says, he actually says, I know you didn't realize the full extent of what you were doing like that's there's a lot of great is there is there a lot of truth in that or a lot of grace in that did, did Peter's kind of interesting here. He was so harsh on them a second ago, and now he's saying, look, I know you didn't know. You didn't know that it was the author of life that you were killing. You didn't get that fullness. It's so honest. Like, it'd be so easy to go either side, wouldn't it? So easy just to go ham, or to excuse them and say, look, I understand you didn't mean it at all. But he says these both things are both true. Sometimes if in your, you're in your, um, your uh, hyper-reformed hyper theology mode, you, you might say, no, they knew exactly what they were doing, they were fully guilty, they, 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 were, they were deceiving themselves in their hearts, and that may all well be true. And yet Peter, the Bible, tells us here, no, actually there is, there is mercy that can be had for them. There's, things, there's circumstances that you can say, hey, there's something understandable there, even if it was fully evil. Now, he says, because Jesus has risen from what you did to him, and he is reigning and repenting, you've got to apologize to God for crucifying his king. You have to repent from denying the Messiah that he sent you. Go back to God, because God's shown that you're wrong. H- how? Cause resurrection. And you're just going to hear that again and again and again, that all these guys have is, look, Jesus is alive. Like, what are you going to do? And that means that he is God's king and, 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 you, and you have to say sorry and turn back to God and say sorry for, because that proves that he is God's king. It proves that he's on the throne. God has stepped in. Now, what will this rejected king do to those who come before him admitting that they killed him? See, I had scared of going to God and, and then confessing my sin. These guys would have struggled. And my mind was cast back to the Gospels when I was reading this um, and Jesus' parable of the vineyard you know the one where the, the, the tenants of the vineyard are, are taking care of it and then the owner of the vineyard who's far away sends the messengers and they shamefully treat them and beat them and they'd have kill some of them and eventually kill the son and what does he do when he shows up? it says he'll bring those wretches to a wretched end and that's what I'm expecting and then Peter says this. He says, come, confess and repent of denying God's king, of in fact murdering him, and God will send you refreshment. Refreshment. Refreshment for men on death row. Restoration for the leaders of the coup against God's son. This is what to expect from repentance, says God here. Refreshment. And in the new age, full restoration come through the passage towards that towards those verses see there is a prayer that we could pray here the prayer that we could pray is God please reveal to us our sins so that we might turn from them and be refreshed father please send your rejuvenating life-giving leap-inducing refreshment we're willing to go through the, the, the pain of honesty, the pain of repentance to get there. And look, you can just see Peter's expectation that when Israel turns back to God, that Jesus will return. He almost feels like he doesn't think it's too far off and usher in the restoration of the universe. Now, it's interesting here because Peter doesn't directly say that Jesus did this. He says it came through faith in his name there in verse 16. Have you ever wondered why it says, by faith in his name? Have you ever thought of what it means to believe in the name of Jesus? It's, there's, there's probably different things that it can mean in different places, but, but it, I, I'm sitting there thinking, it's Jesus that I trust, not his name. Like, what, what's, what, what does that mean? I want to understand why this language that I don't expect is there. And I think we see this in how Peter sets up what God does with Jesus and what the, what the, the temple authorities and rulers do with Jesus. Peter contrasts what the men of Israel have done. They've denied Jesus, and yet God has glorified him, vindicated him. And so those who keep faith with Jesus, who align themselves with Jesus, who side with Jesus, for whom he is their first loyalty, they hear the name of Jesus, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to publicly identify myself with him, yeah, he's my guy well, that is what's produced what they have witnessed. See, faith's actually got a, a, a faithfulness element to it, in a way, a, a loyalty element, a this is the one that I belong to, this is the one I put my trust in, a sense of sticking to that one. Faith in Christ is certainly not, faith, faith is certainly not uh, just believing in the information sense of that word, like I believe that the earth is round. Faith in Christ is actually owning Christ, aligning yourself with him, as the temple leaders align themselves against him. So Peter's asking a big thing from them to turn. Now, Pete's third point. God promised this, says Pete. God promised this. Moses said that one like me will come. One like me will come. Listen to that guy. All the prophets spoke about these days. This new era of the risen Jesus is that chapter of the story. And remember how God said that he'd, he'd cut off from his people those who rejected this prophet that he would send? Well, this is the guy Moses is talking about, and you killed him. Remember God saying to Abraham, our forefather, that he'd blessed the whole world through us as a nation, through one of the offspring that was going to come? Well, that's Jesus, the guy you killed last month. God sent him to you to, to, to bless you to bless you by turning you from your wickedness. And yet we did that. You might, God promised this, now he's done it, and you've got to listen. Now look, these speeches in Acts, um, they're, they're not the exact speech that was given. They can't be. Luke wasn't there, we know, in these sections. Uh, and yet it, yet because of the way that he speaks about it in other places, we know it's based on, on eyewitness testimony. But he can't be an eyewitness. And so these are not the exact words, and yet this is the this is the as we as we hear this this is the uh, the, the the message that Peter gave across. So we want to apply Peter's sermon. Just got a couple little things for applying Pete's sermon. This is just the the the, the chapter three bit. First of all, we have got to listen to Jesus, right? The consequences for an Israelite of rejecting their own Messiah particularly the one whose purpose was to bless them, and the one through whom God was fulfilling their whole purpose in the world, well, if you're going to reject the Messiah of your nation, the, 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 the one who's the whole purpose of your people, well, you're rejecting your status as a member of that people. And that's dangerous for them. Flick through to um, this little slide here. Um, oh, where'd the Keller one go? that backwards. I'll let these guys take care of it because I suck. Uh, h- hear the warning here. See, yes, this warning is for Israelites, but when you hear Jesus speak, you don't have the option to dismiss him either because we are in AD, as we heard last week, in his Lord. He's the king. See, if Jesus rose from the dead, and you can, you can hear this logic in everything that Peter's doing. If Jesus rose from the dead, you've got to listen to him. It, 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 that's just how it is. God has showed that he is... S- he's vindicated him. You got to listen. First point is we you got to listen to Jesus when he speaks to you. Second point is that God's plan was to bless them. Now this is interesting. Hear the words, bless them by turning them from their sin, from their wicked ways. See if 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 you give up on sinning, right, you're not, you're not giving up on something nice for yourself in order to please God. That's what fasting would be doing, you know, giving up on something that's good for you to, to focus on God. But repenting is stopping a lifelong habit of drinking poison. Turning from your sin is, is saying, right, I know that there is this arsenic here that I've been drinking every day of my life because it's just, it's just helped me get through, but, I'm, but, but I know it's killing me. I'm going to stop doing that. You see... It's not to just rescue you from the punishment for your sin. Here, the blessing is to turn you from the sin itself. It is a blessing to not sin. That's something to be excited about. That's something to pray for. That's something to search for, to put effort into, for your own benefit. Maybe you could talk to a brother or sister tonight and ask them to pray for you to stop drinking. Maybe there's a poison that you know that you still drink. All right. Now, so far, so far, Pete's Pete's given this this gospel talk, and yet it's not exactly evangelism as we would understand it because he's not converting outsiders. He's telling someone he's related to that they're wrong, speaking to a long-term friend and saying, hey, you've made a huge mistake. You've actually been opposing God, by the way. You've been acting. I don't know how you'd feel about doing that. It's a hard thing to do, isn't it? There's someone in this room, someone you don't want to lose a relationship with. In some ways, it actually can be much more scary to speak like this uh, than it is to evangelize a stranger, because you know, a stranger doesn't like you, then doesn't talk to you again. It's like, okay, we're probably never going to talk to you again anyway. But with loved ones, you're in a long-term relationship. Peter here has been willing to speak the truth in those relationships, and there's going to be very real consequences for him and for the people around him. He's, a, he's in the family system. He's in the middle of Jerusalem. Everyone, in, he's in his neighborhood. And yet here he's loving his countrymen by calling them on their recent actions. Now, when, when you do threaten the, the coping strategies of any family system, the family system shows up, the immune, the immune response kicks in and says, no, we don't like this. And in chapter four, verse one, here come, if you could get me to four, verse one, Mark, that'd be genius. Uh, here come the council. Here come the patriarchs of this family system. Here comes the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees. and they were greatly, it says, disturbed. I really do like the, I'd really do like the translation that says, greatly annoyed. It's just, you can see their annoyance. And the funny thing is, once they get there, they basically arrest them because it's nearly dinner time. It's, it's, it's nearly dinner. We'll just throw them in jail overnight. Go home for some fig jam, some sourdough, and. But why did they arrest them? See, Luke is very, very specific with why. You can see it on the screen there. Is it public disturbance? Is it causing trouble? No, it's because they were saying this thing, that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the issue of the day. Now, why is that a threat to the Sadducees? A couple of understandable reasons. Some of them are conjecture. But, I mean, already there were many more believing. We've actually got another 2,000 now, so up to 5,000 men and women and children on top of that number. Now, it's quite hard to get an estimate, an accurate estimate of the population of Jerusalem at that time. There is massive debate and disagreement and sort of like uh, atheistic versus Christian, and it's really hard to get sort of like a neutral, accurate scholarly essence of how many people were there there. As best as I've been able to work it out, because Jerusalem swelled about five times its normal population during these festivals, and this is that festival time. Given the, given the, the, the Jesus events, it's hard to know how many of people that were here at the Pentecost were there at the Passover when Jesus was killed, all that sort of stuff. Yet, despite that, 5,000 people, in any estimate, is a big chunk of the population. It's possible that we're talking about 10% or more of the entire population of Jerusalem converted in a few days. Even if a large number of those converts have just come in for the festivals and eventually they're going to head home, this is big. In the context of a city that really ain't very big, much smaller than Hobart, like, this is, this is this people are talking and it's all relational. This is a significant movement and the Sadducees are getting scared. And secondly, the big argument that the Pharisees and the Sadducees have is whether there's a resurrection from the dead. And the Sadducees say no. Probably why they live a very licentious. They need to get all the fun sort of in this life kind of lifestyle, and the Pharisees would play the opposite. But the Pharisees say there's going to be a resurrection. The Sadducees say there's not, uh, which is why they were sad, you see, which I'm not saying to make a joke, because it's a lame joke, and I know it's a lame joke. I'm not expecting you to laugh, but at least you'll remember, oh, the Sadducees are the ones who don't believe in the resurrection. You'll have the, because the lame joke will be sticking there in the head, and then you won't be able to forget. Pharisees are the ones who do. See? Reason. All right, so this significant new movement's primary message is all you guys who are in charge of the temple, Sadducees, is you're wrong. The big theology, theological fight of the day that you're having is, you are wrong because we've seen a guy. Not, not theologically you're wrong, not argumenting. Just, no, I've seen him. I've seen it happen. It's real. It's just fact. And so they get chucked in jail. It is interesting that Jesus cares about people and he heals the sick, blind and lame during his time on earth and after, but we never get tallies of how many cripples were healed. Like, that's not counted up. Because the restoration's coming when Jesus comes back, the full restoration. What we do get is a tally of the number of people who are put back in contact with their God through Jesus and put their trust in the Messiah. There is something to that, isn't there, in the importance of sharing the gospel. Now, we get to the, the Sadducees. They get back. They call them back in the next day, and they ask, hold on, uh, by what name have you done this? Now in one sense they're actually asking hey um you know what what power did you did you use to do this how on earth could you but 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 also they're really asking actually by what authority by what by what by what reputation like who are you aligning yourself with who who does this sign vindicate and peter in this in this beautiful way uh, what does he say if uh If we're being called to account today for an act of kindness, isn't that a great way to start a defense in a trial? Oh, if I'm in trouble for an act of kindness, to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. You rejected him, sure, but that was part of God's plan too. Psalm 118 set that up for us. There, and There is no other name by which we must be saved. Now, I doubt the Sadducees liked that evaluation. They definitely didn't like it being publicly stated. So I'm gl- I think they were probably glad they had them in council. But just like when they confronted Jesus in the flesh, this seems exactly the same again. They seem more scared than in control. Like the facts are so obvious that Peter and John are saying, we can't lie about them. And, and, and the, the Sadducees then say, well, yeah, the facts are so obvious that we can't lie about them or we'll lose popularity with the people. These these things weren't done in a corner, as as uh, Paul later says to uh, I think it's a gripper, it could be Felix. Um, everyone knew about these events, and so like with Jesus, they were actually too scared to have a go. They're too scared of the people, and so they turn into bullies, as most scared people end up doing. And they threaten the disciples and kick them out. Disciples get back home base. I don't know what you would do. Maybe you'd gone out evangelizing. You'd been threatened by the authorities, told to stop, told you can't talk about Jesus. I'd feel, I'd feel scared, a bit threatened. Uh, I've certainly had one instance where I got rejected by someone I was trying to talk to about the gospel, who, and I was just a mess afterwards for probably like a couple of days. These guys go home, and they're not, they're not scared. They get back together, and there's this beautiful thing. Let's come down. Growing. Uh, one more. There we go. They raised their voices together in prayer to God, Sovereign Lord. They said, "You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them." I don't sound scared. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And what psalm do they quote? The Oh, God, I'm being smashed by the, the, the waves. It's so hard, the persecution. I don't think I can handle this, God. No, 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 no. They, they quote the most arrogant, well, you don't want to call God arrogant, but like the, the, the psalm with the most swagger in the Bible. Why on earth do the nations in the rage and the people's plot? It's in vain. It's hilarious. The next verse says, The one enthroned in, in heaven laughs in the psalm. The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord. And against his anointed one, and they actually label this. And again, there's this refreshing honesty. Uh, Herod and Pontius Pilate, who Luke quite honestly, in his in, in his previous book, tells us they didn't think Jesus was guilty at all. They just were too weak to set him free. And yet here he says at the same time, what's also true is that they met together and they conspired against your holy servant Jesus. So it's true that they they did they they weren't they weren't in a conspiracy against Christians. Just too weak to stand against it, and they were just too selfish and sinful and just wanted to save their own skin. And can I say that's probably not a bad way to describe a lot of the things that maybe can feel like they're against Christians. Perhaps those people aren't necessarily conspiring directly against you either. But they are, like, these, like Luke evaluated these men to be, both having just saving their own skin, just selfish motives, don't really care, not particularly against you in any conspiratorial, the world's against this kind of way, but also actually at the same time that is rejection of the son and aligning yourself against his people and with anyone else who's going to threaten you in order to do so. This used to be a psalm about the nations and now it's a psalm about their own leaders being against them. It's a really sad moment and yet They get together, and they pray. And they end up speaking. They they end up, do, they end up, they pray that that, that they would speak, and they'd be able to speak your word with great boldness, and the Spirit comes, and they do. They speak the word of God boldly. It is magical, and it is beautiful. And so, what does it mean for us? I've got two things that I want us to think about. Uh, Sorry about the... I had to like add bits over in the slide because I'd made a mistake. I realized that it's not just turning to God. The first thing of the two things that we actually need to do here is to be this refreshing, this refreshingly honest person as Peter was. The first thing we do is be honest, is repent, and not pretend that we're any further along in the Christian life than we really are with ourselves or with anyone else. Uh, the key to evangelism is not looking brilliant. It's not what Peter was like; he's just refreshingly honest. And so, I want us to start tonight, actually, with that. Um, do you find sort of yourself explaining yourself to people, trying to create the story about yourself to people, or are you just okay to be refreshingly honest? Just let whatever is be what is, and not have to manufacture or, or you know, uh, what's the word, um, curate the narrative maybe so they don't think anything bad about you, why don't we just be honest? Uh, and I find for me, um, it, it's hard. I've got to actually say, well, well I can't. <laughs> For me, sometimes it's actually because I'm, I guess I'm a bit defeatist about some sin. And so I'm like, oh, that's just a part of me. I'm not really going to get rid of that. So I then don't acknowledge it. I pretend it's not there. And then I realize that I'm doing that. I'm like, oh, that's not being dishonest. I just feel so normal that I never get to it. And it's like, well, no, that is me being dishonest. Why don't I just, why don't I actually go to that sin? And then be honest. Okay, so why, why do I feel defeatist about that? And be honest about that. And then, what, okay, so what, why, why don't I choose to move past? Why don't I choose to do the thing that I'm, I know will be the way to move past that barrier between me and repenting of this sin? And be honest about that. And go down the levels, being more and more honest with ourselves. And, and the, 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 the best way for me to do this, I don't know if it's the same for you, is, to, is, to, be, is to, to talk to a brother or sister and just tell them what's going on for me. Tell them who I am. Tell them about the sin that I don't think I gonna repent of, so I don't want to touch it, I don't want to think about it. And then turn back to God with that. And go through the layers of honesty, being more and more and more just who we are. Because the gospel means that's okay. Because even the guys who hung Jesus up on the cross were offered, if you repent, what you'll get is refreshment. Second thing is, could we be like this? Do you know what I mean? Like, you read this and you're just like, man, these guys, they were on fire for God. They were gutsy. They were getting out there telling people the gospel. And, and I don't know if I could do that. Quite frankly, I don't think I can. Well... Why is that? Why is it that we're not like that? That's the question. See, the thing is, they were pouring out what had been poured in. Nothing more. So there's nothing fake. And that's what's true of us as well. We can't lead someone. Let's say we're talking about evangelizing our friends. But you can't lead to somewhere to someone to somewhere that you've never been. Like, if you're like, oh, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. But yeah, if you're, if you're not going to Jesus, then you're walking up to sort of like somewhere within the vicinity of Jesus and saying, yeah, he's over there. And he's like, well, well are you going to come with him? He's like, oh, no, 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 no I'm not. You, you, you just go, you go repent of your sins. He's great, I'm telling you, it's great. It's great over there. It's great over there. It's just just go. But, but if we're not doing that, if that's not our normal turning back to God, what, if that's not our, our, our life is constantly just turning back to him, being with him, talking to him, going to God, just honestly with who we are. If, if you want to be like this first century church, and that may not be everyone in this room, but if you want to be like the, the, the men and women in this first century church, do you think God doesn't want that for you? Do you think that's maybe why you're not there? If that's your situation, not putting every, I'm not putting anyone in exactly that box. But see, Jesus is doing all of this stuff, including healing, from heaven. He's doing it from there. Exactly the same place he is now. When did Peter say things are all going to completely change? When Jesus returns to restore all things. 3 verse 21. So it's the same era. It's still that same time. There is no reason that for that it should be different for us. Do you think God wants to give less of himself to you than he did to them? That's not the God of the Bible. It's not his testimony. Now look, some of you guys are articulate, brave, and capable, and some of you also haven't shared the gospel in years. Now, some of you guys have been you've been you've been honest and you've said that to me. It's a beautiful start, isn't it? Why? Some of you never have shared the gospel with someone who doesn't know Jesus. Why? Why not? See, we need to spend time to consecrate ourselves, to spend to to dedicate a time in our life, a moment to to set aside, not time to do evangelism, but time to be with our Father in heaven, time to go to, our, go to his Son in repentance and to hear the Spirit speak to us this message of, of, of refreshment and a forgiveness of sins through the Scriptures as we bathe ourselves in them, as we bathe ourselves in the prayer that we have together, this refreshing honesty of going to the Father like that. You see, you can't give someone what you've never received. And you might like that person you're evangelizing to become a Christian who's way way more connected to Jesus than you ever were, but you won't be able to lead them there. Brothers and sisters, encouragement, I hear God say to us tonight, I hear God asking us to be refreshingly honest that times of refreshment may come. And be with invest that time to being with your God. So that you may be refreshed, but also so that the doing may flow out of the being. That the sheer conviction of the resurrection, because they'd experienced it, they'd talked to the guy, would be our conviction because we have spent our time and our days talking to the guy. And we know he's real. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, now, your spirit is with us, and we're going to pray to you some more soon as we gather together around your table. But just now, Father, help us not to forget the things that your Spirit is telling us. May whatever it is from my words that is, that is accurate, that is in line, that is you speaking, Father, may it not be able to get away from our minds and niggle in our hearts so that we might come to you in honesty, so that we might dedicate the time required for that, so that the overflow might fall out in us sharing the good news that we ourselves are being refreshed by. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.